Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. And if you have thoughts on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know on Twitter at at Cisco Champion. All right, today we are going to be talking about the future of wireless, uh, what we're seeing in terms of trends and disruptions in the industry, and ultimately how you can prepare as wireless continues to evolve. To guide the conversation, we have an amazing panel of champions and our resident expert on the topic. I always like to start with individual introductions. Let's get to know our cast of characters. And Dan, we are going to start with you. Tell us about yourself. Thank you very much, Emily. My name is Dan Sheldon. I'm a principal solutions architect with Prosimo. Uh, we're a startup out of the West Coast uh, for multi-cloud networking and uh, zero trust network access. It's nice to have you back on an episode. We missed you. <laughs> it's so good to be back. <laughs> All right, Liam, you're up next. What do you do? Uh, my name's Liam Keegan. I run 24-7 Networks, which is a partner out of uh, Denver, Colorado. Uh, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Liam J. Keegan. All right. Paul, my friend, what have you been up to? <laughs> Everything in the world. I do it all. Uh, my name is Paul Giblin. I am a uh, consulting solutions architect, distinguished engineer, and CCIU emeritus with uh, Presidio. And I've uh, been a Cisco champ for uh, five or six years now. And been with Presidio for close to 10. Awesome. All right, Matt, that leaves you. Thank you for being with us today. Um, can you tell us more about what you do, what a CTO does, um, and what that means for Cisco and our and our customers? So very happy to be here. Uh, glad to be on the, the panel with, uh, with all the folks that just introduced themselves, and I'm really looking forward to this discussion. So what, is a, what does a CTO at Cisco do? What a, what a great question. I, I know one thing, I seem to fill the hours of the day pretty quickly. And uh, sometimes when I look outside, uh, there's not a whole lot of sunlight left. But uh, what I'll say is this, is um, we work in horizons. Um, we look at what we consider horizon one, two, and three and beyond. And you can almost say a horizon is one year out, two years out, and three years and beyond. And what we do is we, we look at not only the current state of technology, but where's technology going? Uh, if you see me do some of uh, my keynotes, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll talk about what are the disruptions that are happening in the industry? What are some of the mega trends that are really changing the way we do things? And so this is a little bit of a push-pull uh, type thing because um, you have customers and, and customers need to solve these new problems because things are changing and things move very quickly in industry and, and in enterprise. And so the technology has to meet that demand. Um, so that could be a disruption or that could be a, a megatrend. On the reverse side, you have these new capabilities and technologies that are coming down the pipe, which means maybe we have a better way of doing it than we did before. Um, it solves the problem in a, in a better way. And so we look at those technologies that are coming and, uh, and we'll, we'll apply those. You know, just to give you a, a couple of examples, um, I think some of these are not surprising to people. We hear all the time about hybrid work. And so we talk about working from wherever we are. Um, I know that a lot of us on this call today are, are working from various locations, not necessarily at the office. Um, and that's really changed things. And it's changed things because the world of VPN, in our view, is starting to wane. 
and the world of zero trust is starting to take over for obvious reasons of being able to directly get at your cloud services. So we look at things like that. Um, what does it mean to your network architecture? What does it mean to your access network? Um, how do you apply policy to a network you don't own? Uh, you know, things that IT administrators would have to deal with um, that isn't a traditional architecture where someone's at work and you own all the infrastructure and have complete control over it. Um, of course, we're looking at the next generation of AI. How do we make these networks smarter as technologies become more complex? Um, we want that to roll back in. Um, we look at convergence. Um, we see convergence happening at multiple different levels. There's convergence happening in spectrum. Um, what's happening in six gigahertz? Is it just Wi-Fi? Because it's not, right? You have other technologies and stacks that are going um, into some of this new spectrum. We look at convergence architecturally, what's coming out of 3GPP versus what's coming out of IEEE. Um, and what we see is that they're really learning from each other. And so some of these architectures are starting to look the same. We see convergence from access. You really want to be on wireless wherever you are. When you're in the building, maybe you're going into Wi-Fi. When you're out of the building, maybe you're going into 5G. How do we make that a seamless and ubiquitous experience? And, and how do we do that using different identities as we cross those networks? So those are just some examples, but um, it's uh, there's plenty going on, I'll say that. Wi-Fi, wireless, 5G, sensing technologies. Um, there's a, This is a great field to be in. Um, you know, For me, one of the reasons that, that I like being an engineer is, uh, is because things are constantly changing. I don't like it when things get stale. Um, and so wireless is definitely constantly changing. So we'll get into some of those topics today, I think, and that just gives you a little bit of a view of where we're spending our time, our research, and our efforts. And I think, uh, Matt, you, you covered uh, the, the change, right? So we've seen just within the last, what, five years, we've seen three different wireless standards emerge. Um, not only is change happening, uh, but the rate of change is increasing. So I know one of the, the components that we wanted to speak to a little bit today was Wi-Fi 7. You know, what is Wi-Fi 7? How is it different from Wi-Fi 6, 6E? Um, and, you know, what are the potential impacts that we're going to see, you know, coming down a year, two years down the line? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great question. And, and I'll probably, um, if you don't mind, answer it a little bit broader than just Wi-Fi 7. Um, of course. You, you may have noticed that as we're tra transition, transitioning uh, at, between these different releases of technology, there's, there is a common theme. And that common theme is how do we get more out of the network in a more consistent way, in a more reliable way? <clears throat> so we're looking at that both from a, a latency standpoint. How do you bound latency? Uh, because what that does is it opens up your, your realm of applications and services that you can do. Um, not having to be bound to a wire in certain use cases. Um, and then the other is how do you make sure that you have very reliable communications? And so if, if you take Wi-Fi 5, for example, and back, a lot of the work that we did was around architecture uh, when it came to networking and it came to Wi-Fi access. Uh, we basically over-provisioned and undersubscribed. So as long as we could put enough bandwidth out there, and as long as we could use some of the technologies like 11RKB to move between APs, we could get a pretty good result. We do intelligent things like radio resource management so that we can get the most out of the network uh, without colliding with ourselves. 
And we did that for years. Uh, the latest technologies might give us a faster coding rate and more throughput. But what's happened now is, is quite revolutionary. And it really started with Wi-Fi 6. When Wi-Fi 6 came out, it introduced this concept called OFDMA. Um, what was Wi-Fi 5 and earlier was OFDM, um, unless you go really far back, you know, but pretty much it was OFDM. Um, what's that A, right? So that OFDMA means we can now schedule in the frequency domain. So two th big things really happened with Wi-Fi 6. One is the network can coordinate the resources, the access to the network, means that you get a much more deterministic result. Um, so that's huge. And two, since you can schedule in the frequency domain, you can actually mux your frequency. So now you can have multiple devices talking all at the same time in the same transmission opportunity. This means you can get a lot more throughput and you can control what I call a collision domain. Instead of things coming on and colliding with each other, what we do is we use that frequency division and schedule them um, across that frequency, uh, like I said, almost like mux them in a single transmission opportunity. That means they're not colliding. They're using different pieces of the spectrum so that you get a much better result. Then we go into 6E. 6E means, of course, the 1200 additional megahertz in 6 gigahertz. And what that does is it, that allows us to solve the interference domain. So if we can solve the uh, ability to schedule the interface, the air interface, which we did with 6, and we can isolate spectrum, which we're doing with 6E, now we can get a, a very, um, what I would say, you know, I, you know, I use the word deterministic, but you, you're going to get the result that you need for the application that you run. So that's huge. And 7 continues that. So with the advent of 7, I mean, there's a ton in 7. I'm just going to touch on a couple things. But when you add seven, um, you add new capabilities like MLO, multi-linked operation, sometimes referred to MLD on the device side. And this means that you can attach to the same EP with two different pieces of spectrum. And you can do that either to increase your throughput or you can do it to, to increase your reliability. So now as you move into these mission critical applications, um, some of these applications where bounded latency is very important and reliability is very important. Think healthcare, medical, things like that. Um, now, you're, now, if you have interference, the likelihood that you have interference on both pieces of spectrum is actually quite low. And you can start getting these high reliabilities, what we refer to as 5969 type um, reliability going over that wireless interface, um, which is not something that we're used to in the past, right? We, we've always used these technologies and let the upper stack take care of it. A lot of things go on TCP and it retransmits. But when you start getting into these mission-critical, real-time protocol, UDP-type applications, where retransmitting is too late, um, then you need these other capabilities to produce that type of reliability. And that continues even into Wi-Fi 8. So long answer. But, um, but that's what's happening. I mean, there's a lot of emphasis on this determinism, this reliability, and uh, the ability to bound latency. I appreciate it. So, Matt, I have a question for you following uh, up, up on all of that. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of change going on. There's uh, an acceleration of that change with standards coming more frequently and a lot of uh, really cool capabilities uh, you know, being brought to the market. Are those being driven by particular applications that you see coming and how much of this is being led by manufacturers like Cisco versus 
uh, how much of this is being driven by application requirements coming from device manufacturers? It's both. Um, so let's let's take another example. Of some of the things that are happening in in six gigahertz. Um, the device manufacturers really like this concept of C to C or client to client communications. Um, and so that's another way to use the spectrum. Um, we're typically today when we use Wi-Fi, we go through infrastructure. We talk to an AP, and if, even if you had two devices in the same room, you would talk to the AP, and the AP would send that traffic back down to that other device. What C2C or or sometimes referred to as VLP or very low power type implementations allows you to do is to um, is to connect directly uh, between two devices, and and this is becoming important. Um, in the next generation, because um, as you get into things like XR, um, AR, VR, MR, um, all these next generation headsets are coming out. They're, they're getting much lighter. Uh, digital immersion is, is something that's starting to happen even for collaboration services and business applications. Um, and what you want to be able to do is connect something like your phone or even a laptop um, point to point um, to that headset and then backhaul either into 5G or, or into the Wi-Fi network for connectivity into the cloud for things like remote rendering uh, and those types of technologies. So, so do the device guys care? They really, really do. And uh, we meet with um, all those players every week um, to specifically talk about some of those enhancements and capabilities on what's going on in the wireless world. And, and by the way, that's just not Wi-Fi. You know, we're, we're talking about them, about Wi-Fi, 5G. We're talking about sensing technologies, um, what's going in the next generation device, like uh, the capability to do LiDAR, um, ultra-wideband, um, FTM, um, which is fine timing measurement um, um, that's often used for location services. So there's a lot of things that are going on in the devices that the device guys really want to see because they, they want to provide the best and most productive environment. Um, and a lot of things are also driven by the network guys because the network guys typically are looking at the broader picture. It's not a device is very tends to be very device centric. It, it's not worried about what all the other devices are doing. Um, on the network side, the network sees all the devices, and so we do care and we do want to manage across those devices and provide a good experience to every single one of them, um, even as they move AP to AP. So we're coming at it from slightly different angles. Um, they're trying to produce an environment that's the most productive experience for the user that's holding it. We're trying to produce the, the best productivity um, and experience for all the devices that people are holding or using um, coming into that common network in an efficient way. So, so maybe just, just pivoting for a second to, to talk to Paul and Dan, you know, both of you guys are, are customer facing and sort of see a wide variety of, 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 of clients. I mean, big and small, I'd be kind of curious just to get your perspective on what your client base is sort of thinking about from a future of Wi-Fi perspective and like, where are they going? And maybe we can just sort of bounce that off of, of, of Matt and kind of get the, the broader picture of, of what Cisco's thinking on that. I mean, just throwing you on the spot, Dan, you want to kind of share some, some thoughts. I'm always open to share thoughts. You know that Liam. Yes. Um, so actually, I think I think uh, Matt actually kind of uh, posed it well, is that um, honestly, most of us aren't in the office anymore, uh, whether that's a long-term strategy or not. Um, so when I talk about uh, access points, most of us aren't running, you know, 
um, kind of higher enterprise grade access points at home. We're dealing with, you know, whatever the ISPs give us or that kind of thing. Or some of us geeks uh, probably have ridiculous setups that have four <laughs> plus APs in the 2000 square foot house. Um, guilty. You got to be able to get a suntan from your wife. <laughs> exactly. That should be on the so, roadmap. <laughs> exactly right. So, um, Sunburn for me. My, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> my, our, our thought process has changed a little bit um, to that we're not connecting via a secured network in that case. We're, we're connecting a secured device. Um, so not only myself, but uh, our company Prosmo has taken a very uh, application-centric view of the world where regardless if the application is cloud-hosted, which most of them are nowadays, or private data center-hosted, we care about securing an end-user device regardless of the network that it's on. So kind of that zero-trust network access um, uh, thought process really defines how we build products, how we go to market, how we talk to customers. Um, and it's it's a different world than we were in even three years ago. Um, the pandemic has changed things a lot. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy to say that uh, my company was forward looking then, and it's still a little bit ahead of the curve. I do a lot of education to customers uh, before they really kind of have that um, aha moment where they're like, oh my God, that makes total sense. Let's do that. Uh, so it's uh, that's kind of where we are, where um, you know home wireless networks are what they are, but we need to secure the device. We need to secure the connectivity regardless of where that lives. Long-winded answer, Paul. I'll leave, I'll leave you <laughs> same question to you. <laughs> Now, you, you definitely uh, hit on a lot of uh, themes, and I'm hearing uh, a lot of the same stuff from my customers as well. Um, but I, I do service a lot of healthcare, and healthcare, I think, is a little unique in terms of customer segment in so much as, uh, you know, you, you telehealth is a thing, yes, but the you know primary way people continue to go about receiving health services is going into a doctor's office or into a hospital. So a lot of the challenges that they faced over time uh, kind of remain. So big themes that I'm seeing are things like uh, wayfinding and uh, guest experience. Uh, in particular, I service a few different uh, children's hospitals, and they have uh, patients who are coming in, uh, younger, you know, minors uh, who are other patients as well as their parents who are bringing three, four, five devices with them. Some of which are, are very non-traditional. Some of them are gaming consoles, Xboxes, Playstations. And they're trying to get these things onto, you know, the wireless environment and they're competing for spectrum space with, you know, the, the same, uh, you know, spectrum that is being used for some other treatment, <laughs> whether it's, you know, a medication pump or a nurse running around on an iPhone or, you know, tapping a badge for voice communications. So you've really got this wide variety of different client types. You've got traditional laptops that are just, you know, sending data back and forth and, you know, can rely on things like TCP for retransmission. But you've also got kids on Xboxes who, uh, you know, need to keep their stress level down because they're, you know, in, in treatment or recovery and they're getting stressed out because they're, uh, they're getting blown up uh, in the, the Xbox game that they're playing. I was going to say, your COD great. pings have got to be low. Like that's, that's, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> Latency is Absolutely. everything. It really is. <laughs> so I, I definitely see, um, you know, a lot more devices coming in to environments from a healthcare perspective. Um, you know, you're starting to see more medical devices, uh, you know, getting off of older uh, kind of legacy implementations of wireless technologies. Uh, you know, there are still B clients out there, believe it or not. 
uh, and getting more modern and uh, proliferation of those things, getting away from, uh, you know, license spectrum and, and uh, non-standard tech. And I think that's, I think that's one of the terms that I liked uh, that Matt used was uh, deterministic use, right? So when designing access points, you have to make sure that they're, you know, in uh, enabling or empowering the specific use case for that device, you know, specifically. So whether it be a gaming console or a saline pump or, you know, something along those lines, we need to make sure that we can both segment those from each other and do, you know, exactly QoS, all the good things that we're, we're kind of used to doing on a more manual basis. Um, but we need to be able to do that for the ever-evolving, ever-expanding uh, IoT or IIoT, the intelligent IoT uh, base of, of devices, right? Exactly. And I agree with uh, your earlier sentiments as well. I think we are in a period of transition where it'll be very interesting to see how many people end up back in offices and what kind of accommodations need to be made, particularly around wireless for people's home environments where there's very little control by an organization, even if you supply somebody with an access point versus, uh, you know, folks maintaining autonomy and, and uh, just using their own wireless in their house. I know if I can bring my gaming console with me, I'm, I'm more likely to come back to the office. <laughs> you must have a good boss. That's <laughs> well, he's 2,000 miles away, so... <laughs> it sounds like a great boss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're saying you can spawn cap him and the latency will take care of it for you. Yeah, there you go. So that's right. So, um, so much in just what you guys said, you know, to, to touch on... Um, we do have this this concept, and I almost I have to be very careful sometimes because uh, my my uh, program managers or product managers will listen to one of these recordings and they'll say, "You said what? You know, we didn't announce that yet." <laughs> you know, but, um, there are some things that we're working on specific to this arena. Um, one we've internally dubbed "Enterprise Everywhere," and uh, this gets back to some of the convergence that I was talking about before because when we start talking about hybrid workplace. Um, how is it that you can produce a productive work environment wherever you are? Now, we tend to think of that because of COVID at home, because we all got locked in our houses. But, you know, as we start to move about, what we're finding is that even in 2019, prior to uh, COVID, um, what we saw is that almost 72% of the time, um, people were doing work while not sitting at their desk. Um, it, it just so available to us that wherever we are, we can sit and we can do email or we can, or we can do a conference call. And, and for me, uh, having responsibilities like I do, you know, I might be talking to Asia in one minute and the next minute I'm talking to Europe or someplace else. And, and, and so your workday kind of gets all spread out and, uh, you know, that becomes a sort of a next generation management problem. You know, how do we separate our, our, our work and our personal lives? But, um, you want to be able to access um, these things uh, when you can. Traditionally, if you look at IT, um, you had a computer room and, and you had that data center and, and then you had that core network, that aggregation network, and then the access network. Maybe what you did is a secure link to a branch, um, but, and you put that all inside a firewall and you could very much control that. You could control it from a security standpoint. You could control it from a quality of experience or quality of service standpoint. Now, when you think about zero trust, because that's what we're talking about here, um, what's happening is that uh, people are coming into access networks that the IT department doesn't own. And you're going to this cloud service someplace. So it's not going to the computer room anymore that's on the main campus. 
and the networks in between, none of that has to be owned by the IT department. In fact, if you're not VPNing in, you're, if you're using zero trust, you might be going direct. So how do you enable an IT manager from a policy standpoint in those types of environments? How do you assure that the employees are productive so that they get a good quality of experience or quality of service? How do you make sure that you can implement policy around um, security? And so these are the types of things that we're working on and as part of our, our, um, our effort on this, this program called Enterprise Everywhere, where the intent is that you can produce um, the security requirements from the IT department into the access network that you're currently coming in on using a work profile. So I don't know if you've noticed, but you see in the device ecosystem, um, companies like Samsung and Google, they're, they're allowing you to segment your phone now. You can have a work profile and you can have a personal profile. And that seems convenient. And a lot of people look at that, well, that's just a convenient thing. So I can have all my work in one place and all my personal another. But it's it's really a lot more than convenient. You're what you're doing is you're securing the device for work and you're securing your privacy for your personal profile. And then based on that profile, you apply that policy um, for going into the network in that context. So me being in a Cisco employee in my Cisco context. My profile might have a DNS defined that would be the Cisco umbrella DNS. So I would hit the same DNS and get the same security capabilities for me, whether I was coming in at a hotel, an airport, at home, or wherever I was. So that just gives you a little bit of an example. And the next generation, um, what we're working on is if you're coming in as, as a in your work profile, can you get a enterprise class of experience, whether you're coming in off of Wi-Fi in a public venue? or you're coming in off of 5G into an operator network. And so again, this is the convergence I'm talking about on how we connect all these access networks together, get a unified experience with unified policy. I know that was a mouthful, but that's awesome. <laughs> we, we've multi-tenanted our personal devices, and I think I've multi-tenanted my brain at this point. It sounds like, frightening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one, one tenant does this, the other does that. We're going we're gonna to rephrase... Uh, Multiple personality, multiple personality disorder to the uh, multi-tenanted personality disorder. virtual, right? You don't know where anything's running anymore, or where anything is stored, but you still have to apply all the policy and security to it. Exactly, segmentation has a containerized brain. Well, and it's it's interesting. I mean, this kind of veers out of the technology realm and into more of just sort of like the use case. But it's like, how many people will actually? allow that to happen. It's like, just because it's technically possible doesn't mean, I mean, so many people are just like, hey, I don't want a camera on my phone, you know, or like on a desk phone. I don't want somebody surprised, you know, to, to spy on me or I don't want, you know, work on my personal device. It's, it's kind of interesting. It's like, I think there's the technology barrier, but then there's that social barrier that is probably way harder from an, from an adoption perspective to, to overcome. So Matt, this just just taking what Liam just said, um, and, and you know what you had just described in terms of how things are being segmented, uh, bringing this back to Cisco's vision for the future. Uh, you know, how does this look? How does this get implemented? This concept of you know providing these services to users, uh, you know wherever they may be, and and what's Cisco's role in that? Is this an AP in everybody's house? Uh, is this you know, controlling uh, more of the public infrastructure and services when people are in uh, common spaces where they have no control over those things. How does that look? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's it's a great question because I think this is happening in pieces. So so two things that I would say um, to the to the previous comment as well. Um, convergence is a necessity 
for financial reasons. So if, if you look at the access networks that are being deployed, um, you, you have what I look at as a uh, distributed investment. So in other words, in, when an IT department puts a Wi-Fi network into a venue, whether it be an airport or a, or a train station, um, or um, even if they're putting it in a regular enterprise and it's just the, the guest network, they paid for that, right? And they're paying for the backhaul. Um, when you take a, something like a 5G macro service, um, what you're doing is, is you're pro providing this umbrella coverage, right? Kind of catches everything between the hotspots, basically, right? And, and there's an incredible amount of investment going in there. So now think about this, right? Does it, does it make sense for either of these technologies to provide this ubiquitous experience by moving into the other's domain? It, it really doesn't. What you really want to do is you want to leverage all that distributed investment going into venues, all that centralized investment that's going into that spectrum and into these umbrella technologies and combine those networks together. And it makes it more economical for both sides. An enterprise certainly can't extend its network to everywhere somebody is working. Now, maybe they can into the home, right? But they're not going to extend everywhere that you're potentially working. And a service provider is not going to be able to penetrate every building, right? So if we can join those networks together and leverage those investments, it just makes economic sense, right? So that that's one. Now, on the, um, on the personal side, um, are we going to allow some of these things to happen? This is a really good question because, you know, given GDPR, what's happening in California and the fact that, uh, um, you know, the analysts tell us that by this time next year, over 50% of the world's populace will actually be under regulation for privacy. Um, all of a sudden, this becomes a really important issue. And, and so when, you know, I was talking about segmenting your device, when you're, when you're protecting data in your work segment, you're actually protecting the enterprise. You're protecting your employer when you're protecting data and what you're doing in the in the personal segment of your device you're protecting privacy um, and so we get into these privacy conversations so what is privacy privacy is the ability to isolate an identity from the activity that that identity is doing that, that, that's a really simple way to say what you know what is it that we want to do with privacy because you're not private if someone knows what you're doing, what you're accessing, what data you're getting, et cetera, if you can separate the identity from the activity. So those are the types of things um, that we're working on. So can you secure things like your camera in your personal profile? You can, and, and that's within your purview. Um, does, uh, and I always hesitate to use company names, but does, can, does Walmart need to know who you are to get on the Walmart network when you're shopping. Actually, they don't, right? What you could do is just have access and, and their multi-channel marketing could come to you, or they can, and that is now a user choice, right? If Walmart knows and you use their their card, you know, or, or their their um, loyalty program, then you're gonna get five, six percent, whatever off at the register. But what you're doing is you actually paid for that with your data. Right. So now we have these two currencies, you know, the typical the dollar we're used to or whatever euro or whatever you use. And, and now this identity currency that what's key here is that you have to make sure that the user stays in control of when these are exchanged. Just like you don't want someone taking money out of your wallet. You don't want somebody taking identity information uh, about you when you don't know. So so that's a big question. I know. So it's it, it's something we're definitely working on.
but but it, th- that is something though that Cisco. I mean, it's sort of like the uh, the the CTO for wireless is, is sort of like it, it implies kind of the technical, you know, spectrum and bits and bytes and and whatnot. But but from from a Cisco perspective, does Cisco take that the privacy and sort of the human side of it into account? Like, is that something that attention is paid to? Absolutely. Chuck actually said it himself. He said privacy is a fundamental human right. Um, and, you know, when Chuck says something like that, it filters down into all the different <laughs> business units and organizations because privacy and security is, you know, is something that has to go across the entire network and everything that we do. So uh, so we're, um, we're, we're taking that uh, hugely into account in how we solve these problems um, and, and new regulatory requirements um, going forward. So it's a big deal to us and it, it's something we're architecting for. I forget which one of you said it, but you were talking about segmentation. Um, segmentation really is the answer to a lot of this stuff, because what you have to do is you have to understand what identity you're using to access certain services. Um, and then you have to understand what context you're, you're in. Are you in your personal context or are you in a work context or are you, are you in a school context because you're attending school? There's a lot of different contexts that you could have. So the, the way you secure information is based on the context that you're in. And of course, you then would own your personal context and what people could access or not. So that's how we're solving these problems going forward. And it's, it's, um, it's something that's very um, important from a network side because the segmentation is what allows you to, to separate securely those different contexts as that traffic is going across the network. Everybody's stymied. <laughs> <laughs> We covered a lot in a, in a small period of time. It's uh, there's a lot to noodle on. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I'll just talk about segmentation for a second. Um, so you know, we can segment in the WAN, right? It's called SD WAN. Well, you know that you can segment in your switch fabric, your core, and your access switch fabric, right? Now you get into wireless. Did we segment wireless? Uh, we kind of did. Maybe you use separate SSIDs, you know, stuff like that. But if you segment, then you need to be able to segment with a policy and you need to be able to apply a quality experience or quality of service policy to it. In comes Wi-Fi 6. If you can schedule the network, then you can segment it according to policy and what type of delay characteristic and, and throughput characteristic that you're going to get. So now we can extend segmentation into the air. And what did I just tell you? The, the big players like Google and Android, they're segmenting right into the device. So what we just said is that you can implement a segment truly end-to-end. And if you can do that, you can solve problems like security with context, like privacy, um, and, and actually extending the enterprise into an access network you don't own because you have a back-end agreement that when you come in with this identity, you're going to get an enterprise-class service. So it's, that's a little bit of the vision of where we're going. There's a lot of technologies that have to come together to make that happen. I, I was going to uh, just bring this back and maybe ask some more tactical questions. I know uh, personally I've not seen lots of 6 gigahertz deployments out there. Uh, how does that spectrum perform uh, compared to some of the others? I, I know that uh, when A first came out and we were on 5 gigahertz, uh, you could not get nearly uh, as, as far through a wall and into a room. Uh, with an access point uh, that was equipped with both 2.4 and 5 gig. Uh, how, how does 6 stack up? Are you seeing that people need to really overhaul AP placements and things like that? Or are you seeing uh, you know, similar densities to 5? So the goal is no. 
Um, there was there was reason to do densification in the past. Um, if you overlapped your cells, um, for example, and it, and it wasn't just throughput. A lot of times people think, well, put it. You need more throughput in your system, so put in another AP. Um, the problem is with radio resource management, if you can put in too many APs and you're actually interfering with yourself and it actually pays at that point to turn radios off. So there, there's sort of this, this um, sweet spot that you want to be in when, when it comes to densities. The other reasons that you were doing things like denser deployments was because if you overlap the cells, when, when you're walking around a building and, and maybe you're doing a, a voice call as you're walking, um, and you're using something like 11R, 11R and 11, you know, K and V, um, in order to do that handoff and have to re-authenticate. So you want to do that handoff fast, maintain that session. Um, if there's an overlap, then you don't have to worry about dropping the call and having to, to hunt and find a new AP. And so you just got a better experience. So what we're seeing is, is that most deployments um, over recent years are at densities that where Wi-Fi six will work just fine, so that's that's where we're at. If you got a if you get a 10, 10 year old deployment, and you did a coverage model, um, and you know go further back if that was based on two point four, then you're probably going to have to pull additional cables. But um, but by and large, uh, because of the the later technologies in the stack and the ability for the AP to hear better, um, uh, using the you know, Wi-Fi six and, and seven technologies, um, you're gonna you're gonna likely be fine with the densities um, that you currently have, and we've done a lot of testing to uh, to prove that out as well. There's other problems we're dealing with, by the way. Um, one of the things that you have with devices is that um, if you're in six gigahertz and you are going through walls, a six gigahertz signal might appear to have less power than a Five gigahertz signal or a 2.4 gigahertz signal and so some of the things that we're working out with the device manufacturers is that hey the, the five gigahertz signal looks better but we want you to stay on six right and at the same time if you take that too far if you try to stay on six when six you're getting really at the edge or beyond then what happens is that your throughput for because the coding goes down to such a low rate your throughput's actually worse than if you did go to five right so just like we went through a lot of this um, iterative process um, when we added five to 2.4, um, we're doing the same thing as we go five to six. And other, other little things just to be aware of, um, you know, when you get into to a six gigahertz network, WPA3 is a minimum requirement. And as you're roaming around, you could actually roam from a, a six capable network into a five network. You know, say you're doing your upgrade, but you didn't upgrade everything at once, right? And and the legacy network does WPA2, and now you have to do a re-auth based on WPA2. So we, we have to deal with issues on how do we um, maintain compatibility with legacy devices while still taking advantage of the next generation technology and not break any of that, right? So those are the things that we're working out with, with some of the device ecosystem as we're, as we're deploying these networks today. All right, I'll, I'll throw a fun one at you now. Uh, you, you said that you deal in horizons one year out, two years out, three years out. What do you see driving adoption at 6 gigahertz in the coming calendar year in 2023? 
boy, there's there's so much debate still going on around six gigahertz because, of course, the FCC did it. We've seen Brazil announce. Um, we've we've seen Saudi announce. So we got some stuff in the Middle East. We've seen various countries announce. We have other countries that have only done the lower 500. Um, and and so there's still a debate. There's still a lot of discussion going on around the upper seven 700. Um, and of course, um, we want to homologate this so that we can keep it simple as you as you move across the the globe, but um, if we're talking about six gigahertz and using the, the full 1200, um, there's some really cool things that are happening that are a little bit further out where um, radio resource management changes dramatically because what you do is you synchronize the APs to actually work in very wide channels in the same spectrum, right? So if you can do frequency coordination, right, and you can do that amongst APs, now, now what you can do is get... You can win both ways, right? Because you typically design a network for throughput, which means you might want to do smaller channel width um, and more of them to isolate them, which means you lower your burst rate, right? But in that next generation, what, and now I'm talking three, five years out even, right? Now what you would be able to do is actually achieve high burst rate and um, the ability to, to manage the, the spectrum so that you're not interfering with yourself. So that's really cool. We're punching holes in the spectrum. As you do wider and wider channels, um, the, you can end up with these problems where, you know, just, you know, you got a 160 megahertz channel, it only takes a 20 megahertz inter someone to interfere with you, right? So we're doing things where you can punch a hole in it, you recognize there's interference here and actually use the spectrum on both sides. Um, you could almost um, consider it a, a variant of carrier aggregation. So there's a lot of things that are coming into play. Of course, as you get into wider channels, um, wider channels means you have much better accuracy for location, right? So we're going from location where we used to have like 10 meter accuracy down to three meter accuracy, down to one meter accuracy, now down to inches, right? So all of these things are getting better as, as we look at those um, further horizons. Um, we see things like C to C, um, like I talked about before, where devices talk to devices, that's, you know, that's likely to, to happen. It's, there's still a lot of debate going on over at the FCC as far as indoors and outdoors and you know, are you going to interfere with incumbents? So there's things to be worked out there. Um, um, and then I think you, you probably heard me say that 80 is the new 20. Um, so for the current standard radio resource management densities of typical customers, you would be able to use an 80 megahertz channel where you previously used a 20 megahertz channel um, and, and deploy it to exactly the same density and get that additional throughput capacity um, as you go into six gigahertz. So that's um, that's some of the stuff that I think that we'll see first, that those types of things are within a year, right? So lots, lots of things happening, I think, that are uh, just around the corner. All right, so I've got one more for you, and I promise this will be my last one. <laughs> so I, I think everybody uh, probably on this call has, has heard of or seen, uh, you know, what Cisco has done with, uh, you know, the New York City office uh, in Penn Plaza there. And, uh, you know, it's certainly something that's uh, seen a lot of market buzz, kind of the building of the future concept with some of the sensors that are now being baked into APs. Uh, how big a play is that for Cisco? And do you see the types and accuracy of the sensors that you're deploying and access points growing? Do you see a lot of demand uh, built behind those things that is, is driving that kind of use case? It seems like really interesting tech. I just haven't seen a lot of adoption yet. We started looking at sensing years ago. Um, and we look at it in multiple different ways because um, you can do sensing in different 
pieces of spectrum. You can do sensing even off the Wi-Fi signal. And there's a, there's a lot of different ways, like I said, to do sensing. Um, you can sense a tag. You can sense a smart device. Um, you can sense the environment. Um, and you can you could even sense a person. Um, you know, some of the technologies that we're working on, um, even in Wi-Fi, is just to use the radio signals. The, the distortion that a person, I mean, we're basically a sack of water, you know, walking around. The distortion that our body causes is actually detectable. Um, and so, you know, think about use cases where not everybody has a phone. I mean, you would be able to pick up a five-year-old. They probably don't have a phone, but you could pick them up because you know, the, the RF would be disrupted to their body and, and you could, you know. <laughs> so all of these things are going on. So one of the things that we learned many years ago is, is that, uh, and the analysts were telling us this, is that bare networks can't be just bare networks anymore. Um, the world of sensing can't be this redundant um, or this secondary network that has all of its own connectivity and all of its special protocols and all of that. So there's, again, you know, I, th I like to say convergence, but there's a convergence of a lot of these IoT technologies into the dominant players like Wi-Fi and 5G. Um, some things I don't think are going away. 15.4 is going to be around for a long time. Bluetooth is going to be around for a long time. But the, the ability that your network not only carry traffic, but be able to sense is, is becoming fundamental. And this is how you do smart buildings. This is how you do smart home. Um, this is how you provide healthier environments. Um, this is this is how you provide safer environments. Um, someone falls down a stairwell, um, a environment that could sense a body and could tell if someone fell down the stairwell and didn't get up. Um, you know, some of these millimeter wave type technologies, you can tell if somebody's breathing normal, right? So, um, so a lot of those things can start to come into these smart buildings and provide um, not only a more conducive work environment, but a much safer environment uh, as well. All right, Matt. Any last comments or points you'd like to make before we close? Is that for me or everybody? <laughs> Just for you. <laughs> so, so, um, so it was really good discussion. You know, it's amazing. I listened to you guys talk, and um, you know, it's 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 like the neurons start firing, and I have to keep this mental list of boy. There's so many things that we could talk about. There's so many things that we could get into. Um, and it's, uh, I, I don't know if you can tell, I just, I just really get excited about wireless. I think when it comes to communications and the sensing and these technologies, um, it's the last frontier, um, they, they, for all practical purposes, the cable's gone. Um, people are mobile and things are mobile. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, if, uh, if I was talking to an engineer that, or somebody that was just going into school for engineering, I would have to say that this is probably one of the best places that you could be. Um, it's, it's complex in many ways. It's got a lot of nuance, um, but it also has incredible return and really solves the next generation of digitization, not only of people, but of countries and, uh, and has a tremendous economic impact on, on uh, what I would say is like level setting the field and uh, providing um, people that in the past didn't have some of the privileges that we have in a, in a country like the United States. Um, um, really to enter into that new digital world um, and that, that new digital commerce. So very exciting. It's always fun to talk to you guys. And, uh, and I think it's always, it's going to be fun for many years to work on this technology. Yeah, we have a recurring problem with uh, Champ's podcast that we could probably run for eight hours to go without, <laughs> without coming up for air. That's tend to be how they go. It's a full-time job listening to a podcast.
Absolutely. And I will say, Matt, I, I think I disagree with you. I don't think you're uh, that passionate about wireless. I think you're a futurist and you're this passionate about all kinds of tech because we were talking about quite a few things outside of just RF today, and it was very good. Yeah, one thing I'll, one thing I will say to you, Paul, is though, um, that it all starts and it ends on wireless. So it's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's when, a, when we build the switch, um, one of our primary concerns is how many APs we can power off it. Starts and ends with wireless. All right, we'll end there. Um, thank you for another great episode, gentlemen. To our listeners, if you want to continue your learning on today's topic, covered a lot, check out the links provided in the show notes below. And of course, I always have to remind you, please subscribe to Cisco Champion Ready on your favorite streaming platform so you can receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in. See you again next week. Thank <laughs> you.